Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 75th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Welcome back, my friend. It's been two weeks. Yeah, it has been two weeks. Good to be back. Got married and was on my honeymoon and had Aaron filling in for me, which was, you guys did a phenomenal job, but I'm happy to be back in the spot. I think any longer, Mark, would have started getting fan mail. Where's (laughs) Mark? Yeah, I don't know if I'm that popular, but... (laughs) Um, But anyways, so uh, good to be back. But this week, we're kind of deviating from our normal schedule to speak with Adam Collins, uh, owner of Movement Capital, which is an independent investment firm. And we have quoted Adam's work several times on the podcast before, and we're very excited to have him on. So um, we will get with Adam here in a second. Um, We usually obviously start with the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track for listeners. So we'll start with that. Uh, And these performance numbers are as of the market close on December 8th, and the data is from Coifin. So S&P 500 index is up 1.09% for the month and up 14.71% for the year. The Dow up 1.11% for the month and up 5.85% for the year. The NASDAQ up 0.88% for the month and up 38.91% for the year. IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 4.43%. So it continues its strong gains over the past couple of months and up now 16.45% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States is up 1.2% for the month and up 8.2% for the year. The three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.08%, two-year treasury yielding 0.15%, and the 10-year treasury bond yield sitting at 0.92%. So Adam, uh, I think we're ready for you. So welcome to the show. Awesome. Happy to be here. Um, so briefly, if you want to just start with a brief info or intro on yourself and, and your firm and how you got started in the industry and kind of what transpired to get to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it started when I was an undergrad, I was majoring in finance and I was a sophomore and I sort of took a step back and I was like, Hey, I don't know what a job in this industry would actually be like day to day. And so I took a year off. And I worked for a hedge fund locally down here in Mississippi, uh, loved it, went back to school, got a degree, and then day after I graduated, started Movement. Uh, it's an independent RIA. And originally, I uh, sort of catered just to local people, you know, friends and family. But then over the past two or three years, pretty much every new client has come from just like remote people across the country. It's typically like blog readers or Twitter followers or something like that. Um, and I would say, one sort of big change too is I started, you know, percent of AUM, like most people, and that's perfectly fine. But like two and a half years ago, I switched to a flat fee where it's like, I don't care if you've got five million bucks, you know, or 1 million, uh, charge a flat, you know, 5,000 per year. And so that sort of movement capital in a nutshell, it is just me. There's no support staff, there's nobody else. Um, but I really, really enjoy what I do. 
So are you just doing investment management for people or are you doing financial planning with that as well? Both. Uh, started just management. That's sort of like, uh, I don't know, that was my early attraction to markets. I love sort of the, the investing side of it. But I quickly realized that if you only solve that part of the puzzle and you're not tackling <laughs> planning stuff, you're, you're doing a disservice to your client. So right. yeah, every person is a quite comprehensive planning plus management. Okay. And then uh, just before we get started two two more questions for you. Number one, can you kind of give listeners um, just a, a quick two minute feel for what it's like to work in a hedge fund and, you know, what are some misconceptions? Because I think a lot of people think that, you know, hedge funds are this uh, sexy outperformance 24 seven type of uh, of business. And I know that, you know, that's not always the case. And then number two, um, how you started your blog. Yeah. So for the hedge fund stuff, um, whatever, whatever people think it is, I don't know. I, I just found it to be a very regular thing of where like my setup, it was, it was a guy here locally. It was, it was definitely a small hedge fund and he was sort of focused on sort of a CTA, like so commodity trading. And ultimately it's just a different objective than like an RIA. So a hedge fund is sort of like, for him at least was like an absolute return vehicle where it's like, okay, we're going to take this pot of money and we're going to grow it into a bigger pot and try to not have, you know, big correlation with common financial assets. And so day to day, I mean, it wasn't crazy. It was like, I was sort of like a, a research assistant there. And so I had one sort of big project I was working on. Um, and it, it wasn't some like fast paced, whatever it like, <laughs> if somebody was looking from a different planet, it's, also just me sitting in front of a computer for hours. <laughs> so there's nothing different on that front. Um, but I, I really did enjoy it. It was, it was a good person I worked with. Uh, for the second question for the blog. So I didn't really start writing until like, I think January of last year. And before that, I, I would do some stuff on Twitter. I would do some, a little bit of stuff on Seeking Alpha, but I never sort of had my own thing where I you know, wrote my own stuff. And started that, loved it, because I think a lot of writers say this, they're like, all right, when you start writing, you figure out what you don't know, and it helps sort of develop your thoughts for what, maybe maybe your opinion changes on something. And so, um, yeah, my posts, they try to, they try to sort of cast a different light on stuff. Like, I'm never going to write a post that's like seven pros of a Roth IRA, like it's been written <laughs> many right. times. And so my stuff, um, like I love, one of my favorite themes it's taking a thing that people have a perception of and then sort of going under the hood and being like, all right, beyond the marketing, is there stuff here or, you know, is it overpromising? And so I, I like sort of posts like that. And Adam, there's a lot of those in our industry, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to run out of content, my friend. <laughs> True. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Um, you've written a lot before about the 60% stock, 40% bond uh, retirement uh, portfolio before. And yep. can you give us some insight on your views on investing in retirement for the listeners? Yeah. So retirement to me, for at least for most of my clients, it's the period of where they are in the stay rich portion of their life. Like most people come to me in their late 50s or 60s, they've got their nest egg, right? And their investing objective has changed from grow this a lot to make sure I don't lose this because if I do, I have only so many you know, years I can rework it back. And so 
to me, naturally, it's going to be less risky. My average sort of portfolio for a recent retiree has about 50% equity risk, 50% bond risk. Um, and I think what's one of the more important things for a retiree is, at least in 2020, they look at that bond side, right? Or they look at the stock side, too. They say, whoa, these yields aren't doing anything. Therefore, I've got to generate income. And there, there's a sea of sort of investment marketers saying, hey, we've got income. And what's typically not talked about are the additional risks from the income-centric investments, be it like, you know, MLPs, BDCs, high-yield bonds, whatever. And I think that it is important for retiree portfolios to be very specific on their equity-like risk bucket and their bond-like risk bucket and not to bleed the two together. I've seen a lot of that recently. Exactly. Um, you know, rates... Rates have come down so much, yeah, Adam. You know, we, we're seeing more and more of that. And I know that Mark and I have talked about that on the podcast before. You know, people see those yields on those MLPs and think, ah, oh, it's going to be stable. And, you know, they end up losing more in the uh, price per share than the dividend ever paid, right? Yeah. The, the analogy I always tell everybody, and I don't, I don't know if it resonates, but it's like uh, a dividend yield doesn't matter if your principal is a melting ice cube. Like, right. You've got to look at the total return of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people, and you know, I, I always talk Adam on this, on this podcast about, I think we as a financial industry have done a very poor job of educating people. So I never want to, you know, say, you know, people are, are, you know, looking at the wrong thing when they're looking at dividend yield. I really just think it's because they don't, they don't know any better. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, that's one of the goals of this podcast is just kind of to educate people on, on what really matters. And the dividend yield is one of those things that I really don't put a lot of weight to, um, because it doesn't matter if you're getting paid 7% dividend yield, but the stock's down 50% for the year, then, you know, that's, that's not a good spot to be in. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of just like tagging on to that, you know, the hot topic of this year seems to be the subject of all-time low bond yields. Um, yep. You know, so adding on to what you were just saying, what do you think, you know, investors are to do when rates are so low now compared to 20 years ago when, you know, the treasury was paying six or 7%? Is there actually a replacement for a fixed income without increasing risk? Um, and no. you know, you, you, you recently, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I knew the answer to that. Um, but you recently wrote an article about, you know, kind of like the, the folly of chasing high yield, uh, bonds. And can you speak a little bit more about that? Uh, in addition to what you previously just said? Yeah. Yeah. So in that article, I talked about, um, two sort of like yield centric investments I've seen, uh, people be attracted to one is selling options where people will say, okay, you know, rather than stock a lot of money in bonds, what I'm going to do is <clears throat> I'm going to go out and every month or two, I'm going to sell some super out of the money puts on the S&P, try to collect some income. And, you know, if stocks crash, then I own them in a lower level, right? Sounds like a win-win. And my issue with that is people, it, it sounds good on theory, right? It's easy for you to look at an option chain. You look at how much income you would generate. And you're like, wow, that's right. awesome. Uh, so like, just run the data on it. Take, take any sort of like option selling index and uh, look at, you know, the past 20 or 30 years. And you'll see, you'll see a payoff profile that's very stock-like of where it's like um, when it loses money, it loses a lot of money very quick in big size. And so to me, it's like, great. Now you've taken the thing that historically bonds have been negatively correlated stocks. Who knows going forward? But then he said, you've transformed it. 
into a thing that is extremely positively correlated to stocks and will amplify, not reduce drawdown, uh, you know, when stocks sort of crash again in the future. And so selling options to me, it, it, I'm not saying it's an absolutely bad strategy, but to consider it as a fixed income replacement, uh, it just sort of loses me there. Um, and then let me think. Another one in that post I wrote about was, uh, I know I talked about dividend stocks, but it's like, here's the whole thing about um, all-time lows and bond yields. So, so over the past 10 years, the average 10-year treasury yield has been like a hair above 2%. And today, uh, I don't know the exact number, I think it's like 80 bills. So if somebody's retirement plan falls apart from going from 2 to 0.8, their solution isn't a bond alternative. Their solution is to spend less money in retirement. They're trying to fix the problem within the portfolio when that change isn't big enough, in my opinion, to like wreck a retirement plan. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And we'll kind of, we'll get to that. And there's another one uh, of your, of your posts that I want to read a couple quotes from, and we'll get to that here in a second. Um, yeah. uh, did you have another question, Matt? Yeah, Adam, I got a question for you. You know, on the podcast, we're all about keeping uh, things simple for listeners. We want everyone to understand, yeah. you know, what we're talking about and, you know, not talk like the typical financial media pundits on TV. So yep. do you have any tips for listeners on how they can keep their financial lives as simple as possible and still be effective in achieving their goals? Um, that's tough because okay, see, I think the average advisor would respond to that and they would say, oh, just don't watch the media. Don't watch the news. Don't refresh your phone. And I, that advice is good for a robot, but we're not. And therefore right. people will always consume the news. And so to me, I think it is, I think it's important for advisors to point out what is important and what is not important. So for example, if, if somebody's an advisor out there and they've got a client that sees, you know, Disney massively, um, like, you know, did poorly on earnings and they call their advisor like, whoa, you know, is this going to be bad for our portfolio? Well, then if the advisor's doing like broadly based index stuff, the advisors failed the client in the sense of like not contextualizing what matters to their portfolio and what doesn't matter. And so when it comes to keeping things simple, um, I don't know, I think that's a natural like stemming from how you're invested. If, if somebody is out there and let's say they own like the three fund Vanguard portfolio, right? Very little matters to like them changing their portfolio. Uh, there's always going to be a constant stream of geopolitical stuff. If the question is, should I change based on XYZ? The answer 99% of the time is no. Uh, and I would say, here's, here's how most of my clients have like the arc of them learning how to keep it simple. They go down the rabbit hole of caring about everything. They get mentally fatigued. They realize it doesn't matter. And then they get to sort of a happy equilibrium of like, hey, I trust this person. And I know most things don't matter. I know I've got a sustainable withdrawal rate and there are more important things in life. And so that's, that's how I think about it. Right, exactly. And kind of to, to piggyback off of that, you know, in one of your latest posts, you had the following quote that I absolutely loved. And you said that sacrifice is necessary for successful or for sex, for success in life and investing. Someone researching portfolio strategies, but refusing to save more than 3% of their income is like spending hours at the gym and eating donuts for dinner. I love that quote. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I that in the podcast. we can, you know, we can relate to that, Adam, because we always tend to, to tell people on this podcast to focus on what they can control 
And their savings rate, their spending rate is stuff that they can control, but the markets is one thing that they can't. So can you add anything to that? Uh, I think you pretty much got it. But I, <laughs> yeah, so it's like there, there's a constant battle between clients, some clients, trying to outreturn their way out of a spending problem. And right. the advisor sort of saying, <clears throat> there's only so much I can do, right? And so mm-hmm. the thing is, yeah, on that, on that post, I think I've got a, a list of like sort of five things. It's like if you're young, the primary determinant of financial success is how much you save. If you're retired, it's how much you spend. If somebody comes to me, let's say they're 60 years old. Let's say they got $2 million bucks saved up and they say, Adam, I want to spend 200 grand per year for my portfolio. Immediate red flag. It's just, it's not going to happen. That, that mm-hmm. will, they will run out of money. Um, another thing is like, sure, behavior matters. You know, how you behave when markets panic. That for clients that work with an advisor is a big responsibility for the advisor. Like if there's an advisor out there this March and they did not pick up the phone or email their clients, not some, not some white branded thing that's like, oh, just stay the course. But like, hey, you know, uh, John and Jan, it's like, this is how your portfolio is doing. This is how it will behave if, um, if markets continue to drop and this is why you're okay. It's like the communication, it's got to be personalized and it's got to, I don't know, matter for clients. And then I guess the other stuff that matters, that really matters is how much you pay in fees and obviously broad risk allocation between stocks and bonds. The fees stuff, I, I could harp about that for a while, but in a nutshell, when people are evaluating an advisor, they got to look at the total cost. It's not just the advisory fee. It's the fee of what they use. It's the fee of if their strategy has a ton of turnover, yada, yada. And so basically, there's a very short list of things that matter. and It's important to get them right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And going back to the, you know, the back in March, February and March conversation, you know, we had... Uh, you know, prospects or and clients that have told us stories from friends with their advisor that they called their advisor and they never got a call back. So, you know, that's one thing cool. that we that we <laughs> try to pride ourselves on is that, you know, we're going to talk to clients in good times and bad. And listen, this, this podcast isn't a sales podcast to come work with us. It's just to give people the information and arm them with the information that, you know, these are the things that you should be hearing during times like this. And if you're hearing crickets, then there's obviously something wrong with that. And you should be asking questions about that. Um, So, you know, it's our job that in good times and in bad that we need to talk to our clients and talk them through these things. And, you know, that just comes with the job that we do every day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I had just kind of one more question and we kind of talked to this before we started recording, you know, you're, you're extremely young for the industry. I'm extremely young for the industry. And, and so is Matt, you know, what do you think the advantage advantages are of being young in this industry, um, and working and having clients working with younger advisors, you know, Matt and I always say that, you know, we can look a client in the eye and be like, Hey, we're going to, and if they're retired, we're going to be with you throughout your total retirement. And you're never going to get transitioned or shoved off to another advisor. Um, because you know, the reality of it is that the average competition or average advisor in our industry is almost 60 years old. Um, so yeah. do you have any other, uh, you know, tidbits on, on, on advantages for working with younger advisors like ourselves? Yeah. Um, I would say one of the biggest advantages is that there are a sea of 60 year old advisors out there who the only reason they invest the way they do 
is because that's the way they historically did it. Now that might result in, you know, still sticking with actively managed mutual funds, you know, always dogmatically expressing a value tilt because it did so well. And to me, it's like uh, being old can be a blessing or a curse. And I think for a lot of people in investment management, it tends to be a curse because it, it further imprints ideas that maybe were just a historical anomaly for a couple of decades. Right. And so to me, it's like, um, that's a, investing is not a realm in which you always want to marry yourself to a belief because the truth about investing is that when we look at these long-term charts, right, of like, ah, oh, you know, this relationship has persisted for 80 years. Okay, zoom out to a chart that's like, you know, 30,000 years. We will laugh in hundreds of years of the things that we considered, quote, long-term market anomalies. And so I think that's an advantage for young advisors who are, less sort of in the trenches for a certain approach and hopefully more mentally flexible about what works and what doesn't. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And eventually, you know, you, me and Matt, we're going to be those old, older advisors that are yeah, going to be <laughs> st stuck in our ways. But, um, you know, and not to speak badly about older advisors, but I, I do think there is, you know, a, a little bit of an advantage for, for people to work with um, you know, younger advisors, just because we are so open to, to new strategies and new ways to do things. Yeah, but see, it's a catch 22, because just as new advisors are more open to new strategies, that's synonymous with them being sort of like, easily, more easily seduced by like the marketing machine of Wall Street of like, hey, check out this new product. And so it's, it's the same thing of like being young doesn't equal being better. But if, if you can take a young advisor with sort of like a mental framework to evaluate things for what they are and to, and to know that most wall street products are crap, then it's like, yeah, I think it's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So finally, just what's next for you? What's next for you and movement capital? Do you want to, you know, grow it to be extremely larger than what it is today? Or are you going to stay a, a one man shop? Yeah, so I, I thought about this question a lot. And as of now, uh, I really like being a one-man shop. It's like I, some people, I think, would probably roll their eyes at it like, great, you've got to do all of the administrative stuff. But like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really hands-on. I um, like having a role, you know, for every, every task that needs to be done. So I, I don't plan on like hiring help. Um, and I guess what's next is like, I need to be writing more blog posts. Um, there's sort of like this constant cycle between if I'm writing a lot of blog posts, that's a sign that like there are just like a small handful of prospects I'm dealing with. And if I'm not writing a lot of blog posts, it's like, all right, so a lot more people have reached out. And so need to get back on <laughs> the horse of writing blog posts. Um, and I'll, I'll share this with y'all from like an advisor point of view. You might find it interesting. So it's like when, when, advisors write a blog. I think they spend too little time to pick the topic of the blog. So a lot of people sit down and they say, okay, you know, what's topical? What should I write about? And to be honest, I did that for, for most of my blog posts. But when I look at like where my website gets traffic, it gets traffic from organic search results. So people go into Google, type it in a thing, it leads to my blog, right? And so when you ask, you know, what's next for you, it's being deliberate about the content of my website to be 
sort of like more evergreen content of stuff that people are always searching for, but also um, not so broad that like I would never rank on the first page of Google. So like I said earlier in the call, it's like, I'm never going to write a blog post that's like, you know, pros and cons of a 529 account. I can't add value there. What I can add value to like my next post is going to be about the strategy of um, selling covered calls on stocks you already own. Um, in a nutshell, I don't like it. And then in the post is basically an exposition of why. And so, yeah, a lot of blog posts. Um, and I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, that's pretty much it. Writing blog posts, helping clients. That's, that's my day-to-day business. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, but no, we really appreciate you coming on, on the show and I'm sure that, uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about, about more of your blog posts once you get down to, to, to writing a lot again. Um, but where, uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or, or visit your blog? Yeah. So you can go to www.movement.capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L. There's no.com or anything like that. And then my Twitter is movement underscore cap. Um, a post just like some snippets there. Those are the only sort of like two places I'm online. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hopefully uh, if we get past all this uh, COVID stuff here, hopefully we can uh, eventually uh, get together in person to, to have a drink or go out to dinner and just uh, kind of share ideas. I think it's great that all of the stuff that you're doing and, you know, we can always be uh, learning from each other. Oh yeah. I would love that. That's great. All right. All right, Adam. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, we will uh, be in touch with you and uh, for everybody else, we'll be back next week with the 76th episode of the independent advisors podcast. Hope you all enjoyed this episode and have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care everyone. Thank you for listening to the independent advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.